Persistence, persistence, persistence. Farmers naturally have it in spades. They just have to. But what about the engine room that drives a livestock business? Is that persisting too? Pastures and the lack of persistence amongst new so-called productive species has been a hot topic at the Grassland Society of Southern Australia conference recently. In fact, the name of the conference, the theme, was Thriving Pastures, which is not something that many can say they have right now, given the ongoing drought, lengthening feed gaps and unreliable springs. And for our West Australian listeners, we know the problems you have in terms of feed base. Today, we talk persistence in pastures. Hello and welcome to The Yarn. My name's Marius Cumming and this is a podcast to and for and about the Australian wool industry. And we're about to hear from Melissa McCauley, Project Manager of the Feed Base and Eco Credentials at Australian Wool Innovation and also Pasture Researcher Warwick Badgery from New South Wales DPI. But before we do, let's hear from the ever-passionate Jim Vigona of Graminus Consulting. And I don't need to say what his pet pasture subject is. In the um, what I call the dryland pastures um, in uh, some say New South Wales and Victorian temperate areas, persistence is still the key attribute when you're considering selection of pasture species. So in other words, and, and mostly I'm talking about phalaris, well there's only really two perennial pasture species in my very narrow mind. There's phalaris and there's lucin and everything else is just, well, Paul Keating said he's camping out, so just forget about it, you know. <laughs> so, so there's Phalaris and there's Lewis. And so with respect to Phalaris, what do we want out of Phalaris? Well, we want Phalaris, well, certainly we don't want it to be injurious to stock, but we want it to persist. And the reason we want it to persist is we don't want to go back into that pasture and have to re-establish it because that is an exceptionally costly activity. Um, not just the cash up front, but also the lost productivity while the pasture is established. So persistence is the key attribute that we look at, not only with the phalaris, but also with the um, subterranean clovers that we would normally uh, sow alongside it. Um, My view of that is that sort of mix is as much as we need too, because sowing phalaris with less persistent grasses, uh, I showed some time ago, reduce the performance of the phalaris um, in outgoing years. In other words, those you sow it with other grasses, those other grasses don't persist, but you end up with less phalaris because of the initial competition. So we don't want any of that. What we really want is a simple pasture system that works, that is persistent, and that, that um, um, contributes to profitability. Now, there's probably people listening to this shouting about ryegrass at this stage. Um, you're not a big fan of ryegrass, but there have been ryegrass varieties that have persisted, such as the old Vic perennial rye. You're obviously not a fan of that. Well, I mean, I operate, look, to, to, uh, to be fair to those people shouting out there, um, I operate in a certain environment where perennial ryegrasses just don't persist. Now, if you're talking about southern Victoria, that's true. But I also have clients down here who have terrible trouble with staggers and sheep on Vic perennial rye. So, um, and indeed, are wanting to replace pastures like that with phalaris strangely so uh, I'm not I'm not against any species uh, what I but what I would 
see that works in principle anywhere would be we really want to sow perennial pastures and get them to persist. I don't care what they are, right? But persistence is a key. Three or four years out of a, out of a ryegrass doesn't help anybody from, from my perspective. Jim, we touched earlier in, our, in an earlier conversation on the lack of good science and researchers and the declining ages and availability of researchers. It's something that our feed-based advisory panel really identified with and we don't know what the solution is to that. Do you have any insight into that? Any suggestions for us? How do we move forward and get some new varieties of phalaris or some new ryegrasses that may be persistent? What's the answer, do you think? Oh, what a good question. The answer is you commit to doing research. Um, the answer, and in making that commitment, right, you'll find that other institutions commit as well. So, you know, you go back to the early 90s when I started with New South Wales Agriculture, as was, and say, um, I don't know what you were called in those days, um, Wool Research and Development, used to um, fund the Subterranean Clover Improvement Program. There was a group operating in Wagga. They were doing research. They were um, uh, evaluating new clover lines. And that group had expertise, which, you know, eventually it's gone now, it's sort of retired and separated and all that sort of stuff into mm. other industries. But the point of the matter is when you commit to funding R&D, you retain expertise, the, okay, and you develop expertise. But if you don't do that, it just goes, and then you'll find it very hard to import. So I would say you need to commit to ongoing programs um, and uh, the rest will work out, I reckon. Well, speaking of uh, young researchers, uh, Warwick Badgery from New South Wales Department of Prime Industries is with us. Warwick, uh, your role there? Uh, I'm a research leader with the uh, pastures unit, so looking after the rangelands and uh, northern pastures group. And what would you have to say in response to Jim's uh, discussion around persistence? Look, I, I fully support what Jim's saying about simple mixtures. Um, I think that there is probably a little bit of extra detail around um, how you manage it um, and some pastures handle a flogging quite well and others don't and the ones that don't require I suppose, some benchmarks to, to actually start managing towards and, and you can improve the persistence of those species with, with an approach like that. Now, obviously, uh, massive areas of New South Wales are still enduring um, the second or third or even longer uh, periods of drought. Is it too early to start thinking around planning drought recovery or uh, what are farmers in your, uh, in your state talking about? Look, I think it's on everyone's mind. Um, I think there depends where they are in the cycle. So some people have got a little bit of rain, uh, got a bit of moisture this winter and they're they're thinking about where they're headed. Others haven't got that and, and are very much in the, in the mindset of, of just getting through the current period. I, I mean, I think one of the biggest issues that's going to limit us when we go forward is the availability of the right seed that we need um, to sow. So often it's not what's promoted at the store or what's on, on hand. 
it's the species that are best adapted to the area that we're in and we're already seeing this with some of our tropical grass work that we can't access that seed due to the long running droughts in Queensland and, and those areas. And we've heard that um, areas of Queensland that did get rain have such a low seed bank that uh, they're having to start from scratch again. Um, Jim, do you speak to many farmers about how to recover from drought or is it too early? Um, well, well in, look, conditions in southern New South Wales where I operate are fairly positive at the moment with this one rider. So, so there's a fair bit of there's feed on, on the ground, um, things are going along okay, but subsoil moisture is problematic. Yep. So I gave a few talks on drought recovery early, but it was, but it was recovery from an, uh, you know, an atrocious 2018. We're, I wouldn't call us in drought at the moment, okay? But we're bumping along on a sort of day-to-day basis, and some places more rain than others, but there's enough green feed about, okay? We're not out of it yet because of that subsoil moisture problem. A spring like 2018 would absolutely undo us. So it's all going to come down to the spring, obviously. It always comes down mm. to the spring. Yeah, and I think when we're you're looking at pastures that have been run down coming out of this drought, I mean, one of the key things is preparation, so that you're in a position when you do so that that you're, you've got a high chance of success. And some of that is is actually maintaining a clean fallow when you do get a bit of a break. So you've got a you basically you've got your weeds under control. You've been able to store a little bit of moisture because without that moisture underneath, if, if you do get a dry period after you sow that, then, then, then you're in a lot of trouble. Um, with, with a bit of more stored moisture under it, you, you're, you're essentially banking your, um, your growth that you're going to get uh, once you've sown that. So uh, I think planning is key. Uh, when you're looking at re-establishing pastures once once we do get the, the conditions. Yeah, and, and Jim, are you sort of saying to people, look, uh, commit to that um, persistent phalaris pasture or is it worth putting in something to get a quick bulk of feed up or is it looking at something more novel that it, that it has a taproot like a plantain or something? Yeah, there, there are. it's more like there are other options to get to grab that quick bit of feed. Uh, the use of urea has been quite widespread. Um, Pro jib yep. on pastures, widespread. Yep. So, I really think, and in some cases, yes, the sowing fodder crops for sure, um, absolutely. So it's not about one strategy; it's about uh, it's about implementing a number of strategies, but all aimed at that um, getting the quicker bite of growth. Last year, interestingly, we put out a lot of. We saw, well, you can never really foresee, but most people thought. This is a very, very poor season coming. So we put out a fair bit of nitrogen even in August while the sort of water use efficiency of growth was quite high. And so we put that away as growth in the paddock just to stave off the inevitable need to feed. And and we had um, guys up in our area using... um a bit more pro-jib um, early and, and on pastures that were not at an appropriate biomass and, and actually getting reasonable results and, and getting themselves also growing feed on a little bit of soil moisture at the right time. And it got them out of a problem when, when feed availability, like alternate feed sources and, and supplementary feed were, were pretty scarce. So it can be a good option when you've got a little bit of feed at this time of year and, and as a tactic might not be the best 
or the ideal window to do it, but it, it can get you out of trouble, like Jim said. Well, the ultimate answer is falling from the skies, and then we we just want a lot more of that. Yeah. Mel, did you want to? Look, I think we've got some really good key messages there, Marius. Set yourself up for success. We want to do our research. We want to find advisors that we trust and know our property. We want to find the best options in terms of seed supply. Um, and AWI can certainly look into options for that as well. There's some great resources out there in terms of New South Wales DPI's website. They've been doing some great webinars on re uh, restoration after drought, um, and they've been fantastic. I've participated in a couple of those. And I think Jim's advice is really good. Persistence is key. It's about quality. We don't want to have to keep going back and redoing all this stuff in a couple of years' time. We want pastures that are persistent that are yielding good results and being productive for our producers. Well, that's a good uh, spot to, to leave it. Uh, Warwick Badgery, Jim Vagona, Melissa McCauley, thanks for your time on the yard. Uh... Thanks, Marius. Cheers, Marius. Thanks a lot. Thank you. So that's Jim Vagona, Graminus Consulting at Wagga Wagga in New South Wales, Warwick Badgery, Pasture Researcher at New South Wales DPI, and Melissa McCauley, Feed-Based Program Manager at Australian Wool Innovation. She says she's responsible for everything that goes into a sheep. So if it's grass, if it's a feed supplement, what have you, it all comes under feed-based. Perfect. So obviously people listening to this from around Australia will have been experiencing very, very different seasons yeah, recently. it's been really tough. Uh, we've had good seasons in some areas but vast areas have had really poor seasons mm. we've got farmers that have been in two three years of yeah. drought we've got farmers that have had going into drought potentially we've got farmers coming out of drought the bottom line is that we're dealing with a very variable yeah. climate and in some cases our traditional feed-based systems our traditional pastures yep. are no longer working that's right all those ideas have been challenged um, significantly even in the last 12 months alone so as you said, yes, we've got some producers going in, some producers coming out of drought. It's uh, There's variable climate and climatic incidents happening, such as flooding or, or dust storms, for example. So we do need to seriously look at and reevaluate how we manage our feed base going forward. So putting climate change <laughs> aside, the bottom line is that um, it's always changed, it's always been difficult. Yep but we need to have more resilient systems and flexible systems? Absolutely, yeah. We need to look at, learn obviously from the past, but then manage proactively for the future. And that could include putting in some strategies for drought-proofing your property. Um, uh, and also we're going to be providing some updates for producers on calculating feed on offer. Uh, to help make better management decisions in terms of livestock management going forward in drought situations. Uh, we are looking at research into new uh, pasture species that meet our new climates uh, and hopefully we can deliver all of these packages to help our producers make better decisions and arm themselves better for the future. It's a big job we've got. That's a lot that you've just covered there. <laughs> it is. It is a big job. But we have been working MLA, uh, GRDC, of course, are coming on board in a very big way as a collaborative body with us. Uh, of course, Dairy Australia and Wool Producers Australia, of course, are helping to support us too. So, 
it's a big task, isn't it? Because we have such a, such a massive diversity of, yeah. uh, of, of uh, regions, but also through what you've just mentioned, cropping, dairy and uh, sheep. I mean, dairy farmers have very different... Uh, demands on, on their pasture systems than, uh, than a lot of sheep producers. Yeah. So the two areas that you're looking at are um, phosphorus efficiency and dry land legumes. So yeah. take us through a little bit about, well, Sure. What, what, so these are two that? projects that I think uh, I'd love to highlight with you today, Marius. Uh, they're both rural R&D for profit projects that we've been running. Uh, the uh, phosphorus efficiency pastures project has been running for a few years now and we're coming into the final season of collecting data on this particular project. It's looking really promising. We've got some fantastic results coming through despite those difficult seasons. So, so the aim of this is to create or offer pastures that require less phosphorus? Yes, or what, less what's the phosphorus, premise to yes. That? So it, it would enable a producer, you know, your average farmer, to recognise that perhaps... He's got limited resources, limited income to throw at putting super onto his paddocks to reinvigorate his pastures. And we're looking at some of these new pasture species that have not only resilience uh, in, a, in a new climate variability sort of place, but also that require less pea to thrive and to produce really good high-protein pastures for our livestock. What are some of the species that have been involved with this? So we've been looking at some uh, new new varieties of subterranean clovers and uh, particularly we've been looking at some great new species that are coming through in the cerradellas, yellow and the French or the pink cerradellas. What is a cerradella? <laughs> well, it's a it's a legume. <laughs> uh, it's been we've been trialling these particular legumes in our pasture systems for about ten to fifteen years now. They've taken off across southern Western Australia as it seems suited to that Mediterranean climate, which is where they've been sourced from. But as we over here in the in the in the eastern states are moving more from a temperate pasture system to a tropical pasture system they tend to now be thriving as well. So we're looking at what their pea requirements are and do can they replace, or not necessarily replace, but coexist quite happily uh, with a view to increasing their exposure against the, some of the old traditional subclovers. Yeah, okay. So, well, we know, we know that um, in the area, I think is it near Esperance, where yes. they've been growing yep. for some time, they've, mm. they've been looking at um, yep. uh, plugging that big yeah. autumn gap that they yeah. have there and they've had uh, red clover disease. Yes, they've had red right? leaf clover disease yeah. over in Western Australia. Now, Sorry, red leaf clover yeah. disease, not red clover <laughs> yeah. disease, right, sorry. So the, the uh, cerradellas are certainly meeting the feed-based demands over in WA. Uh, the nitrogen fixing component of that also makes them really attractive to those mixed farming operators who are essentially now cropping pasture, feeding livestock on that pasture their nitrogen fixing capacity then allows them to crop for a couple of seasons after that, giving them enough nutrients in the soil to sustain that cropping enterprise. So they're working beautifully in those mixed farming zones. Of course, we've got over 16,000 mixed farmers in Australia. Can that then provide a benefit to those people and to those producers here? Okay, now the other um, rural R&D for profit uh, project that you're... Um, 
managing for AWIs, the dry land legumes, yes. um, which is involving involving a lot of trials around the place. Yes, that's um, right. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so this is another exciting project in this legume, these new Mediterranean legume in that space. Uh, we've got some fantastic collaboration, of course. Again, uh, MLA, GRDC. Uh, we're working with our great university partners on oh, SARDI as well, uh, Murdoch University, uh, New South Wales DPI. Um, we've got some amazing partners come on mm, board for this pretty particular wide, wide one. Group there. Yeah. So as a result, we've got some great small trial plots that are happening around the country. Also working with grower groups who are sourcing those properties for us and running those plots. Uh, we've got some in South Australia, some in New South Wales, and Western Australia. So. And what are some of the species that are, are, are being trialled? Sure. So we're looking at some great new sub-clovers and some other clovers, uh, bladder clovers, balancia, balancia clovers. We're looking at ceradellas. We're looking at vetches, medics. We've got a really good wide cross-section of species that we're looking at. How do people find out a bit more information on that? Where's the central uh, spot for we've that? We've actually got a, a little flyer on that at the moment uh, due to be uploaded to the AWI, to the WOOL website right. shortly. So in terms of AWI and feedbase, is there a, mm. is it wool.com slash feedbase? Yeah, we go to wool.com, yeah, absolutely, to the, on, on the on-farm team and uh, wool production. Well, Mel, thank you very much for joining us on The Yarn and we look forward to catching up again soon and we'll Thanks, be Marius. watching this space uh, closely. Great, thank you. Okay. <laughs> hope you enjoyed this particular episode. Yeah, we have been getting a few emails. Please keep sending them through. We've had a few suggestions. Um, can you please look into the opportunity for maiden news to lamb at 12 months of age and the success of that? So that'll be coming to you soon. We had a request for an interview with former AWI chairman Ian McLaughlin. So that's coming to you as well. If you have any suggestions, feedback of any sort, send it to the yarn at wool.com. That's the name of this podcast. It is The Yarn from me, Marius Cumming. Thank you again for your company and we'll speak again soon. Bye.